hold on a second. I can't do anything until I get rid of this. <laughs> can't tell. Are we going to exercise some church discipline? It's good. Whoever did this, excommunicated. What do we got going on here? Well, you know, that vaguely looks like my wife's handwriting. <laughs> Does it really? I, I'm not going to I'm not gonna give her up. Did you so do I the stars, though? Did you do those? No, this is all... Well, no. I'm not an artist. You're not going to say it. Okay. I'm not an artist. Okay, there you go. But, you know, um, Sadie and me were talking, and we never really gave you a housewarming gift. Okay. All right. And, and um, oh, no. being that this is your... Your first Super Bowl at your new home. Right? Yeah, right. That's right. it. Yeah, it is. That's, that, and, and I noticed Asher going out with a little Kansas City shirt. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So it, this is very fitting. So. Um, yeah. I, I don't, Pins I don't and needles know what here. else to say except from Sadie and me from the bottom of our hearts. Okay. God bless you. Oh, my goodness. I, I take it I'm supposed to open it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you go ahead right. and open it. Can anybody imagine what it might be? <laughs> This is good. I needed toilet paper. Thank you. No. <laughs> you know, in, in the Bible it does say fly, eagle, fly. Does it really? Yeah, maybe in Isaiah 40 there somewhere. I don't know. Thank you, Rick. Oh, my goodness. I'll put that right there. Okay. Missionary. All right, right, yeah. <laughs> Where were we? Uh, Christy Jansma, obviously many of you know, know uh, the story, and, and you know it better than I do. You, you, you've been here longer and supported her and cared for her, and obviously in a difficult situation, and so she's, she's reaching out. And one of, the, one of the heartbreaking things, I think, when I see that, a number of things, but um, uh, least favorite part of being a missionary is asking for support. And I'm just like, no, this... This is one of those moments that we can get alongside and come alongside her and make this the best, right? To see God's provision come in through God's people, in God's timing, in God's way. Um, I'm reminded of, uh, I think it was Hudson Taylor, uh, when I was going through his biography, even just a couple weeks ago. Um, God's work done in God's timing will never supply, never lack God's resources, right? So. So yeah, so today, uh, Elder Joel Reinhardt, are you back there? Um, can you stand up real quick? Right behind Joel, he's a representative of the missions committee. There's, a, there's an offering box back there, so if you feel so inclined to support Christy Jansma in this, re- receiving a love offering this week, I know that other churches are doing so as well. Um, so if you can go back there at any point uh, after the service and drop something off or uh, later on this week, say you might not be ready to give today, uh, we can still receive those funds, and we'd like to get that in her hands so that we can come alongside her. That would be wonderful. Um, so, yeah, let's go ahead and, and, and pray, and then we'll get right into the message time. Oh, Lord, we, we do lift up uh, Christy right now in this moment. I pray that even in these moments that she would sense that she's loved and cared for by you through your people. And so we're, we're grateful that we can participate in this as well. God, I pray that uh, you'd meet us now in your word, and even as we get into these things, that you would be our teacher now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so later on today, um, many of you know this, but there's a rather important game that's happening, and some of you are thinking, oh, the Seahawks are playing. No, the Seahawks aren't playing, right? But the Chiefs are playing. Yay! All right. So, so I know, I know there's a lot of new people here, and you're like, what's the deal with this guy? I can't listen to him. 
you know. Um, I'm from Kansas, all right? So I've been a Kansas City Chiefs fan for as long as I have been alive. Um, and I know it's just a game, and I have no real connection to the players themselves or the game itself. Uh, but what I've found is that as I watch the games, I do so with quite a bit of emotional investment, right? I'm, I'm invested in these things. Uh, a lot of times if you'd watch me watch a game, you'd see me yelling, you would see me cheering, uh, but most of the time, like if it's an important game, like it was last, or two weeks ago or even later on today, I get really nervous, right? And uh, even though I have no like, real connection, I get nervous. I, I squirm a bit. And I was like, I wonder what the definition of squirm is, because that's what I kind of felt like, so I looked it up this week. And the definition of squirm is to wriggle or twist the body from side to side, especially as a result of nervousness or discomfort. And I'm like, that's it. That's what I feel like when I watch this important game, right? Um, I realized that in a championship game, the whole second half, I had some nervous energy. I found myself when the commercials would roll around that I'd exhale like, ah, and like I'd release the tension from like the shoulders and the neck area because I was so invested in it. And so later on today, I imagine it's going to be the same, right? I imagine I might squirm a bit. But even as I enter into the pulpit today, right now, I do so with a bit of squirminess. And the reason why is because I can't get past verse 1 of chapter 3 without feeling a little bit uneasy or hesitant to even be in this position right now. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about as you open up to James chapter 3. We'll see it here in a second. This passage is intense. The language that James uses about our language is intense. The ramifications of this passage are intense. And so... We need to really be ready today to embrace the intensity of what James is going to say here. And our only hope is that our souls can cling to Jesus, and He, by His indwelling Spirit, will bring about an appropriate conviction that may be uncomfortable in the moment, but it will produce something honorable and God-glorifying in the end. And so that reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5-6, through 6, which says this, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, really sons and daughters adopted into the, into the family of the king of kings? And this is what the scriptures say to us. My son or my dear beloved daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son or every daughter whom he receives, he, God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, so we're going to have to squirm a little bit today. And we all better be okay with the, the, the public squirming that we'll have because we're all going to be called to the carpet today, so to speak. James is going to summon us all for a public scolding and a public rebuke today. He's going to highlight the incredible power that our words have, either for good or for bad. We can't just like, this is hard, I don't want to listen to it. Like We're called, we're called to heed what God is going to say in this word today. So I just want to be very clear at the beginning the truth is, is that nobody knows us better 
than the people that are in closest proximity to us, right? And usually the people that we sin against the most in our lives with our words are those in closest proximity to us. We often sin against coworkers with other coworkers as we engage in gossip or slander about somebody else. Or maybe we're tempted to use flattery, which is really just the use of deception in order to get in good standings with our bosses or the higher-ups in the company. Or maybe we criticize our cursed fellow classmates by cyberbullying them online. We have a problem with our words to those that are in close proximity to us. And sadly, honestly, maybe most often we sin against members of our own family with our words. Parents, parents, sometimes we demean and we damage our kids with our words and with the tones that we use toward them. Kids, if you're a kid here, look up here a second, right? Kids, sometimes you raise your voices against your parents and you say horrible things to them. Maybe you say it to their face or maybe for the older kids, maybe you say it behind their backs to your friends. Or maybe you're tempted to lie, use words to lie to cover something up so you don't get in trouble, right? So this is for parents, this is for kids. And I know I don't really want to go here because of the awkwardness that will settle in the room if I do, but I'm compelled to bring it up. We may struggle most with this, especially as it relates to the relationship that we have with our spouses. Is anybody spine tingling yet, right? Everybody's just trying to look straight-faced, like pretend like it's not me. I, I titled the sermon, Trying Not to Make Eye Contact with Anyone Won't Work, right? Because the Spirit, can, He's in you, right? And so notice how I'm not looking over here, right? Because I see Sue's there, right? right? <laughs> but I'm just thinking as I was prepping this, this week, I'm like, man, can we just admit that we struggle with our words? Like, let's not let it be awkward, Can we just admit that we struggle a lot of times, most often in our relationship with our spouses, with our words? And so I want us to stop pretending that we've always got it together in what we say. Now, some of you might say in all those categories, whether it's classmates, coworkers, your parent or a kid or a spouse, you say, man, I never say anything bad about people, or at least I don't say anything bad about them to their face. Well, good, good. You have a little bit of self-control there, and that's, that's commendable, but... Have you ever cursed somebody under your breath or when they were out of earshot earshot of your voice or when you were all alone or even simply in your thoughts? I want to bring up a Bible verse and put it on the screen and may this be like a warning shot across the bow of your life. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 20 says this, Even in your thoughts do not curse the king nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature will tell the matter. Have you ever heard a little birdie told me that? Right, this is where it's from. So this applies not just to the, the audible things that come out of our mouth, but the secret thoughts that we harbor in our minds and in our hearts. Even the secrecy of our thought lives are known to God and may become known to others is what this could tell us. Yikes. Even the isolation of your private moments are liable to the judgment of God. 
Not just the words that come out of your mouth. Yes, our words matter, matter whether or not they are audible or inaudible. We are all guilty. Even after we are reborn by the Spirit and made into new creations, we still struggle with this. Paul says this, before we came to Christ, Paul said that our throats were like an open grave. Death and destruction and stinky things come out of open graves. We used to use our tongues to deceive people. The venom of asps is under their lips or our lips. Our mouth was full of curses and bitterness. This was us and sadly this still may be us. And we need to admit that many of us have a problem here. And James is going to call us all out today so that, once again, I don't want to pretend that there's nothing awkward. I sense the awkwardness when we talk about this because it's real life stuff. But at the same time, I don't want to pretend that we have nothing to work on. So let's embrace the intensity. Let's embrace the awkwardness. And I know it might feel awkward, but can you turn to someone next to you and say, I think I might have something to work on here. Go ahead and do that now. Ready? Embrace the intensity and the awkwardness. I might have something to work on here. Good. Okay. Now that's off our chest, right? It's like now we're all exposed. We recognize I, I might, might have something to work on here. Good. Me too. All right. Now that that's that, let's let the squirming begin, okay? Let's open up to James chapter 3. Turn to James chapter 3. And by the way, Gladys, happy birthday. There you go. Someone told me it was your birthday, so there you go. Happy birthday. Uh, James chapter 3. Look at this. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, Staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, my sisters, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers or sisters, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield 
fresh water. Let's pray. God, once again, we, we enter into this text and we need you to be our teacher. God, we want to embrace the intensity. We want to embrace the awkwardness. We don't want to pretend at all here. We all have something to work on. We find ourselves dead center of this text. And we have a history behind us where we can say, yep, that's right. I can see how I've burned some bridges with what I've said. I can see how I've set on a whole bunch of stuff on fire in my life, and I don't have a lot of control here. So God, I pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to receive what you have for us today and then put some things into practice over the next few weeks. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I'm reading this text this week and as I'm preparing this, I'm quickly realizing that this is going to take multiple weeks to get through this passage. Um, But even as I started reading through it and started processing it and praying, um, I just had this feeling of defeat. You know? I mean, honestly, that's what I felt like. I read this and I honestly felt a little bit of frustrated frustration with God and His Word because the text clearly says, it clearly says, no human being can tame their own tongue. Did you see that? Did you read that, right? So that makes me want to throw up my hands and say, well, then why try, right? Why try? James, you said yourself that this is impossible for humans to do. You just pointing out the obviousness and the fallen nature of myself is really just laying a guilt trip on me that's pretty thick and it's not very helpful. So is tr- that's what I wrestled with, is trying to make application from this text an exercise in vanity because it's beyond our capability as a human. Should we all just as soon throw caution to the wind and let the words that come out of our mouths, our tongues, do whatever they decide to do? It's impossible to do, after all, so why try? Has anyone ever felt that way, right? Probably not. I'm probably the only sinful one here, right? But I was wrestling with that. How am I to do something that you say is humanly impossible? Last time I checked, all of us that are gathering here are humans, right? The jury's still out on some, but most of you were humans, right? So so what gives, right? As I'm studying this text this week, that's the question that I'm wrestling with. And then a teaching from Jesus to the rich young ruler floated into my consciousness. And I remembered the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, that said this, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I was like, aha. Aha. So there is a way for my mouth to be muzzled. There is a way for me to honor God with what comes out of my lips. It is true that no man can tame the tongue. No man in and of themselves will be able to rein their tongues in. But the Holy Spirit has been given to us, causing us to be born again. And He has made us into new creatures creatures in Christ Jesus. And when the Spirit takes up residence in our hearts, He brings along with Him His fruit, one of which is self-control. So humans in and of themselves can't control the tongue, but humans indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. This very same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, by the way, 
that spirit too can bring resurrection type of life and power to what we let come out of our mouths. So the first things that we need to establish in order to gain any ground in this area of our life is that I need way more than a muzzle for my mouth. What I need is I need a heart transplant. You have to have your heart changed. And so before we get into this text to see what James says about the tongue, I think it's going to be helpful for us to review what Jesus said about our tongues because we know that what comes out of our mouth is source in our hearts. What comes out of our mouth finds its seedbed in our hearts, in our inner person. So we need a heart transplant if we're going to gain any ground in this area of our lives. Otherwise, it will be an exercise of vanity. And you'll just throw your hands up and be like, I, I try, but I can't do it. Okay? So Luke chapter 6, verses 43 and 45. Jesus said a lot of things about our mouths. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture today. But in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45, Jesus is teaching. And he says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. That makes sense in nature. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Okay, we get that. That makes a lot of sense. So here's the correlate, the parallelism here. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Foundational teaching for all that we're going to talk about over the next three to potentially four weeks from this passage. I remember going to a conference when Paul Tripp was telling a story about when he was young. He, along with the rest of his family, attended a family reunion. And it was at a family reunion when one of his uncles had one too many, and he started sharing some rather perverse and inappropriate thoughts. And what he was talking about was shocking and not appropriate for anyone, but especially for younger ears like Paul Tripp when he was a kid. And so his mother grabbed him and his brother, and he, she quickly ushered them out of their drunken uncle's presence. And after being escorted away, their mother looked at them, with the most serious of mom looks, right? You know the look. Like, I'm going to get something across to you young boys. And she says to them, I want to say something to you, and I never want you to forget it. Whoa. Whatever's coming up next was going to be pretty important. And so Paul remembers her saying this. There's nothing that comes out of the mouth of a drunk that wasn't there in the first place. You see, what she was saying is the alcohol wasn't the problem. The heart of his uncle was the problem. There was a perverse nature to his heart. And this is what Paul Tripp says about that as he thinks about this. He says, the alcohol didn't create the perversion that came out of my uncle's mouth. He was actually thinking these thoughts in his sobriety. So what did the alcohol do? It loosened the lips. And when his lips got loose, out came the heart. Whoa. This is exactly what Jesus is teaching. Here's the thing. 
our thoughts produce statements. So if you look at your statements and you see that there's harm in them, if they're harmful, if they're damaging, then your thinking and your heart must have elements of brokenness to them. And they desperately either need to be fixed or they need to be replaced completely. Those are your options. And so this week we're going to lay some groundwork that we can practically apply over the next two or three weeks. I'm not sure exactly how long this is going to take. But we want to take some time to work through this stuff because it's just destroying families. So today, and not just families, but people and lives, okay? So today we're going to look at the beginning of this passage and the end of this passage. And then the two weeks or three weeks that follow that, we're going to look at the middle of the passage and springboard into some practical application on how we are to use our words wisely. So let's get into the text. So we're just going to look at the first couple of verses here. And the first point of the message this week is this. People, practice what you preach. Some of you, I don't need to say any more. You're just like, yep, yeah, I do, right? This is the exhortation. People, practice what you preach. Verses 1 and 2. Who does James have in mind here? Is it teachers only? Are you off the hook, right? Am I the only one on the hook? Well, let's look at what he says, okay? Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. All right, that's why I'm scared to get up here today. Verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So I get it. Some of you might approach this text with some sort of a nonchalant attitude because you feel like you're somehow off the hook because, after all, you aren't a teacher, right? And I get that. James seems to be initially concerned here about those who have a somewhat public platform that are elevated to do some sort of instruction. And those that have that platform that are elevated to do some sort of instruction, they will be judged with a greater strictness. Why? Well, this is why. Teachers clearly know what ought to be done, right? They've studied the subject matter well enough to string some together some coherent, applicable thoughts about whatever subject they're talking about. Teachers know what ought to be done, and not only that, they've communicated it, but they also must practice what they preach. So if teachers fail at this, there will be a stricter judgment because they will have added another layer of hypocrisy to their lives. And we're like, yeah, we can understand that. That makes sense. Practice what you preach. But here's the thing. You're not off the hook. Why? Because if you sit under a teaching ministry of the Word of God, you also know what it will say, right? If you've been taught and instructed, so you are liable to judgment as well. Yes, you have been instructed in what you are to do. So you might not be the one teaching, but you have nevertheless been taught So you are responsible and accountable as well. So yes, James may have teachers primarily in mind in verse 1, but he certainly has everyone that's listening to this right now in mind as he continues on in the chapter because beginning in verse 2, he indicts us all. Do you see it? James says, for we all stumble. It's not just teachers 
There could be a stricter judgment there. But we all struggle with this. We all struggle with practicing what we preach. For we all stumble in many ways. We're all prone to this. Not just those who are hoping to be or actually are teachers. So here's the deal. If you are approaching this passage of Scripture with a nonchalant attitude, thinking that somehow this isn't for you, let me burst that nonchalant bubble that you're existing in and remind you that this is written and applicable to all of us. This isn't just for me up here or Sunday school teachers or elder, right? This is for all of us. This is for everyone. And if you still aren't convinced, let me remind you, that we are following Jesus. We have begun a discipleship with Jesus, which is an apprenticeship of a traveling rabbi who was many things, but mostly was a teacher. Forty-five times in four gospel accounts, Jesus' life, that they refer to his life, he's referred to as a teacher. Forty-five times. Teacher, teacher, teacher. So we have begun an apprenticeship with a teacher. We have begun a discipleship with him. And the goal of our discipleship is to be more conformed into the image of our rabbi than all of us who are following Jesus are people who are appointed to teach. All of us. All of us. If you have an apprenticeship with Jesus who was a teacher and you're to be like him, then you are being called into a teaching ministry. That's what you are doing. So consider the final words of the risen Messiah. In Matthew 28, we love this, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make other people like that I have made you and I've taught you and I've instructed you these things. Now you go do that same thing. Go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. How? And then teaching them. Teaching them. You, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are responsible for teaching. Teaching them to observe what? All that I've commanded you. All that Jesus taught you. Now you're supposed to go and teach others that. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So every disciple of Jesus is charged with the task of teaching others to observe all that had been commanded to them by the ultimate teacher, Jesus. So this is written for all of us. Every disciple is a teacher. In fact, Peter picks up on this, and he says, every disciple of Jesus needs to be ready to make a defense, an apologia, a reasoned argument, why you believe what you believe. He says this in chapter 3, verse 15 of his epistle, always be prepared, disciple, to make a defense, to make an apologetic to anyone who asks you. So not just in the teacher, you know, like just as you're going, be ready to answer all the questions, right? To anyone who asks for a reason, that's the word logos, the, the, formulate words to put together about what you believe, right? And hope that, for the hope that's in you. Can you give an argument why you believe what you believe? Teach me, teach me is what they're saying. Every disciple of Jesus needs to be ready to instruct, not just in a classroom, but at all times. This is for all of us, and we need to see that we need to practice what we preach. Why? Because teachers aren't just transmitters of information. Those who teach are influencers. And so this is all the more reason for us to practice what we preach and not just preach. 
This is actually a lesson that Jesus tried to teach his disciples and did a good job teaching them before he left the planet. In Matthew chapter 23, he says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. Like, they're going to teach you the way of God. But not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. That is completely detrimental to the teaching ministry of the scribes and the Pharisees. Let me tell you all these things, but then not put them into practice myself. And Jesus looks at every one of his disciples and says, not so with you. It's easy. It really, well, not easy. It's dependent upon the Holy Spirit. But in, in some sense, it is easy for me to go into my study on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday and, and open this book up and study and pray and study and pray and do all those things. And it's easy for me to identify for us all God's heart as it comes through in any biblical text that we might open, open up to. That is relatively easy, but it's an entirely different thing for me to put what I teach into practice in my daily life throughout the week. It's hard, but it is necessary for authenticity. For this to have any sizzle or fire to it. And it's a struggle and it's, it's hard, but I'm, I'm just, I think about Paul saying to the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That is the call of every disciple. Not just this disciple or the disciples who have been affirmed into like eldership, deacon, position, or teaching. That's the calling of every disciple of Jesus. As people who are called by our rabbi to live new recreated lives and who have been called to teach others to obey what we have been taught by King Jesus, we must recognize the incredible power of our words. And when our words have actions that are in alignment to what we actually say, they're even more powerful. I said it last week. If we talk the talk, we must walk the walk. You you have to. That's just the way it goes, right? If it's going to have any credibility. So we're going to finish up the sermon here in just a few moments, and we're going to look at the last verses, but this is kind of a little bit of a preview for next week, next couple of weeks. We've established this idea that our words are sourced in our hearts, and I want to look at a proverb this morning because that will help us see something important in what James writes in the middle of our passage that we'll look at over the next couple of weeks, and this is Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We must recognize and not remain oblivious to the reality that our words have power. Now, many of you are familiar with the cultural proverb, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me, right? That's not a more inaccurate false statement that's ever been said, right? It is true that sticks and stones can break your bones. Yeah, that can really hurt. But words damage things much deeper than the surface level. Whoever said that was not a victim of of cyberbullying. Whoever said that has never had a spouse scream out in anger in their face that they hate them and they despise them. 
words can sink in and wound like a poison-tipped arrow dripping with venom, is what the psalmist says. In fact, the biblical authors get really creative as they try to highlight the power of what comes out of a person's mouth. Look at the Proverbs, look at the Psalms, and notice at the great length that the authors are using to stretch language to get a point across that words have incredible amount of power. Death and life reside in the power of the tongue. And James is going to say that in opposition to its size, our tongues can have a sizable impact either for good or for evil. Our tongues are small, but they can form words that will either give an abundance of life to people or an abundance of death to people. And that's what we're going to look at over the next two weeks. But for the rest of our time today, we're going to jump down to verses 9 through 12, and we're going to see how we're all prone to duplicitous speech. We're all prone to being hypocritical here, and James is going to point it out. We're all prone to duplicity here with what we say meaning to be double-mouthed, right? Double-tongued, saying two different things that shouldn't be there. So James is going to say this. With it, with our tongues, with our mouths, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? No. Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? No, right? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So once again, I just want to emphasize that we can gain some ground in this area of our lives. We're not left defenseless. We can actually choose. And I think that's why James says what he says in verse 10. He says, look, from the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not be so. He's not only stating the obvious, but he's actually calling us to action. Like, don't let that be true of you. He's not just stating the obvious, but he's calling us to action, to change and to bring our words into alignment with our new creation status. Why? Because after all, he does address his readers and us today with familiar terms, right? You are brothers You are my sisters. This is brothers and sisters adopted in the new family of God. And what James is going to get at here with these verses is that it's not just inconsistent, but it's deplorable for humans, especially those born again, to simultaneously bless God and then curse people that are made in His image. We must recognize the value and the power of our words and utilize the spirit-enabled empowerment that we have been given to use our words only to bless God and to bless others who have been made in His likeness. And so to do so, James is going to get the point across with stringing together a whole bunch of obvious analogies from nature that he hopes will sink in. Maybe one of these will sink in for you. Is he going to talk about horses? If you're a horse person or you you like boats, talk about boats. You You like fresh water, salt water? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about figs, right? So he's, he's going to use a whole bunch of language to get this point across, right? He's going to string together this in the hopes that we see this. They all have to do with consistency. One spring can't produce two types of water simultaneously. A fig tree can't produce olives, nor a grapevine produce figs. If you open up your eyes to nature, you can see that nature is 100% consistent and powerful. 
So since we have been born again and we've been given new hearts, we need to restore the integrity to our speech. There needs to be a consistency there with what has been dwelling in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. The new birth must have its effect on every area of our lives, especially in how we talk. So people, I was just thinking, I was compelled to say this, this is just not talking about occasionally letting a bad word slip out of your mouth. There's so much more to our speech than just that. That's not your problem, right? There's something deeper and slander, gossip, all these things, right? So we're going to get into that the next few weeks. This is not just like, well, I don't, I don't swear. No, that's not what he's talking about at all, okay? It could be part of it, but that's not, not, that's, you're not off the hook. So we all have something to work on here. Even me, and I would say especially me. Has anyone ever wanted to stop putting their foot in their own mouth? Anybody? Right? Anyone ever wish that the words that just came out of their mouths were tied to a bungee cord and they could just come right back in? Right? That would be good, but it wouldn't solve the problem. Because once something escapes our mouths, the message is carried by sound waves and deposited in someone's ear and the damage is done and there's no taking it back. That's the power. There's no undoing that. So even a few weeks back, I made an inappropriate joke off the cuff in a public setting. And it wasn't like dirty, it wasn't like horrible, but it was like, yeah, I shouldn't have said it, right? And honestly, the moment it came out of my mouth, I recognized that it could cause potential harm and offense to those listening. And the last thing I want to do as an ordained minister and a herald of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to put a roadblock in someone's way. It's like, man, I don't like that guy, right? And so I need discretion. I need self-control. I need my heart renovated. We all have something to work on here. And I'll be the first to admit it. Let's just admit that together. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at how we use our words for good and how we use our words for evil. And then we might even take a week just to talk about how do you have a conversation. So much practical stuff here. The psalmist says, or a pro, one of the Proverbs says this, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Can anyone agree with that, right? The psalmist says, set a guard. It's a prayer. God, would you set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth? Keep watch over the door of my lips. Have anyone ever prayed that? Some of you just heard truth loud and clear in these verses. And some of you may be saying, yeah, that's, that's exactly what I need. I need to be kept out of trouble, and my mouth is always getting me in trouble. Some of you are saying, yeah, I need a guard over my mouth and over the door of my lips. And some of you are saying that, and the truth is, is that all of us need to be saying that. And if you are saying that, I want to encourage you with this. Hear these words. There is hope for you. Because of that admission and that confession, you can actually start to forsake and walk away from that old way of talking and that old way of thinking and that old way of feeling. And you can start honoring God with the mouth that he has given you and you can start blessing people instead of cursing them with your audible words or even in your heart with your inaudible words. James is going to say over the next couple of weeks, it's time to put your faith into some action by the way that we use our words. So let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us 
this is a heavy passage. It's, it's a lot for us to take in. And I pray that even as we sing this last song, which is new to maybe many, but it's really just a, a call for you to, to do that work of refining um, every aspect of our lives and especially the way that we talk. And so, God, I pray that you would hear the prayer of your people as we sing this song to you. And as we receive one final word of benediction, that you'd bless us as we go our separate ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll sing this.